choir. That was wonderful. This is always such a marvelous day. And look how many of you there are. Goodness gracious, this is marvelous. When we built the sanctuary, we had all sorts of little nifty tricks built in. And everybody knew that I was short. 
So we have this neat little uh, stand that I'm supposed to stand on when I preach from the pulpit. Now, I don't preach from the pulpit anymore, so I, don't, I usually stand out there. But I can't read Jerry's sermon to you from out there. So um, there is this neat little pedal that makes this go up. Oh, it's not going up. And I know that's not as high as it goes. <clears throat> if I stand on the step, then what I'm reading is way down. All right, Beth can do it. Very good. Uh, for those of you who were not here at the beginning, I announced that Jerry has the flu. And so as of yesterday, he sent me his sermon at 2 o'clock, and I was grateful to have it that far ahead. Um, in the 13 years I've been here, there's only been one other time when this has happened, and it happened to Steve, and he got the sermon on Sunday morning, about 7 o'clock, I think. And um, that was way harder than what I am going to do. Jerry had a memorial service here yesterday that Steve did, and so uh, we are managing, and he's going to the doctor tomorrow, so he desperately wanted to be here with you today. He loves World Communion Day, and he is missing this all so much. So you can bet that he is, if he is awake, that he is home praying for all of us here today. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Gracious God, we do pray for health for Jerry, for quick recovery. As your people all around the world have already prayed this morning, we ask as we come to your word that you will speak to us, that you will show us what you want us to hear. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The scripture reading that we are reading today is Daniel 2, beginning with verse 24. It is a very long story, and Jerry seems to be retelling it in his sermon, and so instead of reading it to you, I'm going to tell you the, the, the uh, story of this scripture. It seems that Vin Scully has a great legacy, just retired. That is the only voice I think of as Dodgers baseball. My mother loved Dodgers baseball, and by George, it was always Vin Scully. What a legacy. It was just as Nebuchadnezzar, really in only the second year of his reign, had begun to think about his legacy, that he had a dream, an amazing dream. It was very troubling to him, and it kept him awake at night. He grew anxious and fearful, and he grew angry. So he called in his inner circle of dream interpreters. Now, the normal thing was for him to ask them to interpret a dream. He would tell them the dream, and they were going to tell him what it meant. But this time, he said, no, I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. You need to tell me what I dreamed, and you need to also tell me the interpretation of it. Well, they'd never heard of such a thing. Kings just didn't do that, and they didn't know what to do. How could they possibly come up with what his dream was as well as what it could mean? I mean, they could make up what it meant any time. But to know what he had dreamed, not a possibility. The king, however, saw that as insubordination, and he ordered them all to be killed. Now, that would include Daniel and his friends from Jerusalem. So Daniel acted. He gathered with his friends, and he prayed for mercy. He asked the God of heaven and earth, the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, to reveal the dream to him. God heard, and he did reveal the dream to Daniel in a nighttime vision. So Daniel quickly went to the dream and to the king and told him what the dream had been. It went something like this. The king had been given a revelation of what would happen 
in the fullness of time at the end of days. He had seen a huge human statue. It was extraordinary and it was frightening as it stood before the king. Its head was made of gold. Its arms and chest were silver. Its midsection was bronze. Its legs were iron. And its feet and toes were made of both iron and potter's clay. As awesome as the statue appeared, it was top-heavy. It had no really good foundation, and it could easily be knocked over. If an enemy would strike the feet and the toes, they would crumble, and the whole statue would come tumbling down. The dream continued. A stone came rolling toward the base of the statue. It struck the statue at its weakest point, in the feet and the toes, and all the gold and the silver and the bronze and the iron and the clay crashed to the ground. The wind blew upon the ruin and carried the fragments away, and no trace of them could be found. The amazing thing was that then the small stone that toppled that, uh, the statue became larger until it became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. The king was breathless. What did it mean? Daniel gave the interpretation. Each part of the statue represented an earthly kingdom, ruler, or civilization. The head of gold was King Nebuchadnezzar himself. I'm sure he liked that part of that dream. Whose kingdom had been given to him by the God of heaven and earth. His kingdom would endure for a time, but finally would collapse and would come to an end. The wind and the sand would cover Babylon. The relics of the great city would one day be in the British Museum in London and the Pergamum Museum in Berlin, where we were three weeks ago. We actually were there with our uh, retired co-worker, uh, mission co-worker, Jane Holslag, who lives in Berlin, and they, they have rebuilt in the Pergamum Museum the gate to Nebuchadnezzar's city, the gate to Babylon. It is huge. It, I mean, they just, not just a picture, they have rebuilt it. And they show you how they did it. In many cases, the pieces that they used to put it together are just little chips. But they had some pictures of it. And so using the pictures and some computer imaging, they managed to figure out how to put all these chips together and to build this huge thing that then also stretches along both sides of a hallway that you walk along. The other parts of the statue were later kingdoms, the silver, the bronze, the iron, and the iron and the clay. The small stone that hit the feet of these kingdoms and that toppled them when there was hardly, I'm sorry, the small stone that hit the feet toppled all these kingdoms. There's hardly anything left but ancient ruins eventually excavated by archaeologists and put in museums. The writer of this story knew from the time of the Babylonian Empire of the 6th century BC that kingdoms, rulers, and political orders had already come and gone and would continue to do that. There were the Egyptians, then it was the Babylonians, then the Persians, then came Alexander the Great and the Greeks, Finally, the Roman armies spread Roman law and order, the Pax Romana, peace of Rome, but enforced by Romans' legions. And like many others, the Caesars declared themselves to be divine and demanded that the people worship them. These leaders and kingdoms left their footprints 
across the known world, but they all came to an end. Today we visit the little bits of them that remain in museums. We travel to see the ancient Roman Colosseum and the, and the Forum, and the Roman Forum. We sail up the Nile to Luxor to see the famous temples. We visit the Valley of the Kings to see where King Tutankhamun was buried, and then we go back to Cairo to see his mummy and his gold face mask. We cruise to Ephesus, the Roman capital of the eastern end of the Mediterranean, which is just only partially restored. And you were just there this summer to see Ephesus, weren't you? All of them priceless relics of the past, but just little bits of what there once was. The writer of Daniel was empowered to see nearly 700 years of the rise and fall of the kings and kingdoms. All of them had come to nothing but dust. To be sure, ancient civilizations contributed to history's political development and legal codes. Cultures prospered. Beautiful art and mythology were produced. Great architectural wonders were constructed. Languages were developed. The nation state had come into being. If we think of the rise and fall of empire, every region of planet Earth has had its dominant leader. Some of them we know, Nebuchadnezzar himself, Cyrus the Great, Darius, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Nero, Herod the Great, Mark Antony and Cleopatra, Constantine, endless number of kings and queens all seeking to live forever and using their armies to control their destinies. In fact, history seems to be a long process of building up, but then tearing down. Francis Kukuyama wrote a book after the Cold War had ended, The End of History and the Last Man. He argued that with the demise of Soviet communism, the final victory of liberal democracy had occurred. Throughout Europe, that's very much at question today, whether it will be democracy that continues. Daniel has received by had received by revelation a theology of history and a prophetic critique of the principalities, powers, and rulers of the earth, whose domains had been lifted up and taken down by that small stone that became a mountain that filled the earth. What can we say about that small stone that filled the earth? I believe the stone represented the kingdom of God at work in the history of Israel through the family of Abraham and Sarah. The prophet Isaiah wrote encouraging words to those people who were living in Babylonian exile. To them, it seemed that their history had come to an end. He said, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, and I blessed him and made him many. The family of Abraham and Sarah has become as many as the stars of heaven and the sands on the seashores. Their own promised child, to be sure, was Isaac. But the stone that brought earthly kingdoms down to the dust was the presence and power of the kingdom of God incarnate, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke tells us this Jesus asked the religious leaders, what then does this text mean? 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. Consider this. All who believe in him and become citizens of his kingdom have become part of that great blessing of being incorporated as living stones into the reality of the kingdom of God. Peter wrote, and we studied this as we were studying Peter throughout the spring and summer, come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. John wrote about Jesus. He is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom of priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. On this World Communion Sunday, we are coming to the table of our Lord. We come because we are recipients of God's grace. Here we receive the presence and the power of the kingdom of God. Here we are incorporated into the kingdom of that stone that crushes the statues of the principalities and powers and the rulers of this present darkness. At this table, we are infused by love and welcomed into the people of faith. In the book of Revelation, we read that Christ, the Lamb of God, was worthy to be worshipped. For you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. This was the meaning of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He saw the idolatrous kingdoms of the earth that had lifted themselves up in pride and the will to power that would be brought low. At the end of history, it will be neither Babylon nor Persia nor Greece nor Rome nor the European Union nor the United States of America that will determine the course of history. No, history will be determined and brought to its appointed destiny when Jesus the stone is manifested as a rock the size of a mountain, a mountain that is made up of living stones who've given themselves to the sovereign reign of the stone who brings all down and who lifts up those whom he has chosen to incorporate into his one new humanity, reconciled in the blood of Christ at the cross. This morning we come to the table of the rock upon which all of reality is found. Always remember that this is a safe yet terrifying place to be. It is the table of faith, hope, and love. At the end of history, it is this kingdom of love that will stand as the mystery that unites us all. Amen.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.